I'd like to ask you to turn in your New Testaments now to Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. And as you're turning, we are concluding our series, Living into Focus, this morning. And we'll be heading on to the book of Haggai. I know that's a, kind of an exotic book to uh, start next week. And I'll tell you next week uh, how, uh, during our time away, I was led by God to... Uh, to preach through the book of Haggai. And I think it'll be an interesting thing for you to to find out why we're landing there and what it means. But for now, Matthew 10, 1 through 14, and living into focus on the kingdom of God. This is his very word. And he called to himself his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere, we might say yet, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or shirts or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. I met Roscoe through a friend. Roscoe was a character. Um, He was known as a character. He was from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Lots of people knew Roscoe's family and lots of people knew Roscoe. And uh, his friend decided that what Roscoe needed was to go to lunch with the preacher. I. Looking back on it, wish I would have said, why don't you go to lunch with him first and, and maybe talk about the Lord. But I said, you know, that's fine. We're starting a new church. And, uh, and I thought, I would love to take Roscoe to lunch. Bad move. I sat down with him at the restaurant and I asked him about him. And, and, uh, and just as I was told, he was a character and he started telling stories. I actually loved the time that I spent with Roscoe. And this uh, went on, I, I, I don't think I said too terribly too many words uh, over the lunch, talked a little bit about myself and, and tried to help him understand what I was doing in town and starting a church. But um, 
Anyway, we, we finished the lunch, and it wasn't so bad, and I was feeling good about this until I got in his truck, and he drove me back to my office and dropped me off. And it was in the first part of that journey that he looked at me and he said in an angry kind of expression, he said, Preacher, do you think gambling is a sin? I didn't answer him because he didn't even take a breath and went on to talk about his winnings and losings in gambling and how much gambling meant in his life. He was daring me to say yes. And I looked at Roscoe just very calmly. I said, well, you know, the, the Bible uh, is not, does not have a, a whole lot about gambling in it. Um, but I'll tell you this, I think it's foolish. That was not the right thing to say. I mean, there was an explosion in the cab of expletives. I, it was as if he had had a grudge against God. It was as if he had a grudge against Christians. I think maybe his wife was trying to talk him out of a life of gambling. I'm not sure what was going on under the waterline, and there usually is a lot going on under the waterline. But uh, man, this, this was just coming out. And uh, finally, when I got out of the car, I was never happier to get out of a truck uh, than, than at that moment. And I fled to my office and got behind the, the door and breathed a sigh of relief and prayed for Roscoe. I was very gentle with Roscoe for several reasons. I think we ought to be gentle with people. I think we need to realize they're just like us. Uh, they need the Lord. And, and we were, at one time, if you're a believer, we, we were them. And we needed somebody to be gentle with us. The other reason I was gentle with Roscoe is because Roscoe lived six houses down from me on my street. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't want Roscoe coming after me after our, uh, our time together. Well, that was, I guess, a Tuesday or so. I don't remember what day it was. But I do remember Saturday because I was taking a walk and I was walking up the street by Roscoe's house. And Roscoe was out in the yard mowing his grass. And when he saw me, he cut the lawnmower off. And he made a beeline to the curb, to his property line, met me at the beginning, and he cursed me as loud as he could, walking as I walked, in front of the neighbors, all the way up his property line. Now, I don't know if you've ever been just cursed step by step like this. David was. And I didn't know what to say when Roscoe was just hurling curses and insults at me without mercy. And finally, I just said, God, what do I do? And finally, and the neighbors were waiting to to kind of see what I was going to do. Everybody's kind of out working their yard. And I said, Roscoe, God bless you, and turned on my heels and, and just kept going and, you know, hyperventilated. Um, so we got through that. We got through the, the truck ride. We, we got through the cursing. And uh, I didn't see Roscoe the next week. I didn't take a walk. <laughs> I was shocked. The, the Not the next day, but the following Sunday to stand up to begin the worship service, and who do you think is sitting on the back row of this meeting but Roscoe and his wife and his child? I just gulped. But I will tell you something. And, and, and after the service, Roscoe met me at the door. Roscoe shook my hand. His wife was particularly happy. And I don't know whether it was that service, can't remember, the second one he went to or the third one he went to, but somewhere in the space of a few weeks, Roscoe responded to the gospel. And the transformation was incredible. 
and he and I became friends, and, and, and our families became friends. And it turned out that things weren't kind of how they appeared, just with the optics, as we like to say now. It turns out that some of the people that you think would be the, the hardest against the gospel are privately under the waterline thirsting for love, thirsting for grace. And sometimes they'll test you to see if you will love them and be patient and gracious with them to be able to offer. They'll test and see whether your love is for real. I mean, who would have thunk it, you know? In our text... Jesus is sending out the twelve with the gospel of the kingdom so that the kingdom of God can come. And basically what Jesus is saying in our text is, I'm sending you out and there's going to be a lot of pushback. In fact, you know, it says in the, the verses right after our text, sending you out like sheep among wolves and et cetera, et cetera. There's going to be a lot of pushback. But you know, he, and he's saying this is going to require a lot of commitment. This is going to require a lot of faith. This is going to require belief in my power. And the and kind of the um, the reality of love. You're going to be tested to see whether you really love people or whether you, this is just about you. But the interesting thing about this passage is, to me, is not that there's going to be pushback. I don't know about in your life, but in my life, I think maybe because we're a little bit afraid to talk about these things and. And we talk about sin and, and we talk about grace in, in light of people's sin and their need. I kind of expect pushback. Oh, me of little faith, what I probably don't expect enough is people just open. People who are thirsting for the love of God. And that, to me, that's the amazing thing here. The, there is an assumption that you will not be received by some people. And you're going to shake the dust off of your, your feet, right? And there is the assumption that you will be received by people. Other people. And they really listen. And sometimes the very people who cuss you all the way up the street are the people who are so thirsty for grace. So let me give you a sentence. The kingdom of God is God's power and grace together. And it cannot be stopped. Let me say it again. The kingdom of God coming is God's power and grace together. And it cannot be stopped. The kingdom of God. We, you hear that word, the kingdom of God this and the kingdom of God that. What does it mean? Well, the... the the simplest definition of the kingdom of God is, is, is kind of like the Webster's Dictionary definition. When you think of a kingdom, I mean, you could think of it in terms of, of like um, borders, you know, the, the kingdom and the borders of the kingdom. This is our kingdom. But really, the kingdom of God, and the only reason you have borders is because you actually reign and rule over a, a group of people. The kingdom of God just simply has to do with God's authority and God's reign over all and how God's reign and rule break into this world and what God does as He pushes back another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness is pushed back. And we find in this text that the kingdom of darkness is no match for the kingdom of God. Verse 1, He called to Him His twelve disciples and He, listen to this, gave them authority... That is, the authority of the king who reigns. 
He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every, every affliction. The word in Greek is exousia. It means like the power out of. Ex means out of. It, exousia. And uh, the word exousia does mean to be over something, to have authority over something. And, and, and God's, God's kingdom actually comes through people like me and you. And Jesus called His twelve and He gave them exousia. He gave them authority over, and you see the kingdom of Satan, unclean spirits, disease, every kind of affliction. But you need to understand this word authority doesn't just mean to be over things. It also means the right to use that power. That the king who reigns is going to extend his kingdom through us and through his twelve. Later, he's going to send out seventy Later, he's going to say to the church, Fear not, little flock, because the Lord's been pleased to give you the kingdom, the authority. And so you are given exousia. And you can actually represent the king. You can speak the words of the king. You can show and tell the gospel. And you know what? That is The, the kingdom of Satan is no match for you. I know it's hard to believe. Now, it is not to say that everything you say in Jesus' name will happen because He is giving you authority to go do with it what what you want to do. No, that is why we need to understand the connection between the power of God and the grace of God. No, He's given us authority to go show and tell the gospel, to go and, and, and confront this other kingdom for His purpose of salvation of people, for His purpose uh, of re- renewing things, you see. It's not just anything we want him to do. That's what happened with Roscoe. It's exactly what happened with Roscoe. And you know, I wasn't even aware of it. That God's, when I spoke the gospel to Roscoe, when I loved Roscoe in his name, that this exousia, didn't, it doesn't have to be like this, it doesn't have to be you know, foaming at the mouth. It doesn't have to be like, you know, I am, you know, is this none of us. We're very humble, right? Humble Christian, you know, like goes together, like we don't deserve salvation. There's nothing really special about us, but God loved us anyway and died for us. That's kind of like the humility that the power of God comes through with the gospel. And that's what was happening with Roscoe. You know, sometimes we, we feel, I think, I think we feel when we watch the news that... um you know, philosophies that are contrary to the Word of God are just taken over. There's not but a postage stamp of, of real estate for the kingdom of God left on earth, we think. It's not true. Sometimes we feel as we live out in the world that there's a stubbornness against Christ. And, and, and you know what? That is true. But it's not universally true. Because the kingdom of Satan is no match for the kingdom of God. Christ has no trouble doing what he wants to do through us. More on that later. So the kingdom is God's power and God's grace together and it cannot be stopped. Now, here's the reason I chose this passage. You might be thinking, there's lots of 
you know, passages like the Great Commission, for instance. There's lots of passages where Jesus commissioned people to represent his kingdom. Why would, why would Joseph pick this thing about the lost sheep of Israel and don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans? It, it's because we've been doing our work over the last seven weeks in, in, in our time together in the Scripture in the book of Genesis. We've been doing our work looking at what God made, what it was like, how we live in relation to God's glory, how we live in relation to God's love. What are God's promises? You know, what can we trust God to do? How can we live into these things? You know, how can we live into focus and be those kind of people who, who are, are loved by that kind of God? Please see that the Gospels, I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are none other than the fulfillment of the promises of redemption in the Old Testament. Please do not see um, Matthew 1.1 as just totally new and disconnected with everything that went before. Please do not see that. No, no, this is an outflow of what we've been reading, what we've been talking about, in Genesis. And I'll give you a great example right here. It says that he called his 12 disciples, and then he calls them apostles, which are the ones being sent to, to, uh, to be with him. And he gave them exousia. He gave them power over all these things. Have you ever wondered why Jesus called precisely 12 apostles? Not nine, not 11, but 12. This is very important. What Jesus is saying is this is a new manifestation of the old. The 12 tribes, the 12 leaders of Israel, now as I have come and the kingdom of God is coming in a new way, there are 12 apostles. Do you see the connection there? 12 also in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a, a number of wholeness, a number that God is doing something uh, to make people whole. And we need to understand that the, the 12 apostles go out, and I'm not going to read their names, um, but we certainly could. Now, I'm not going to read their names. Notice that they are sent out in pairs. You can look at that later. There's so-and-so and so-and-so, comma, so-and-so, because that's how Jesus sent them out was in pairs. But also notice it's not just 12 disciples. Jesus says, don't go to the Gentiles yet. Don't go to the Samaritans. Only go to the lost sheep of Israel. Verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this, The kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse lepers and cast out Demons, And what we see is the link with the Old Testament and the power of God in the Old Testament. You need to understand the power of creation is no less than the power of new creation of someone who is dead, who is made alive. The power of the Red Sea in Exodus, this is the same power, the same God as God pushes back the kingdom of Satan. The power that brought down the walls of Jericho, are the, this is the same power that brings down the walls of people's hearts. And they are opened by God to the gospel. 
And um, this, this would definitely be something new. The kingdom of God is now, but it is the continuation of something else. You have to understand what the Old Testament believers believed about the kingdom of God. To understand what Jesus means when he says, go say the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. In the Old Testament, they certainly believed in the kingdom of God. They certainly saw God as sovereign. They saw God's promises for Israel and his preservation and all that. But when they talked about the coming of the kingdom of God, they really did mean the Messiah. And not only did they mean the Messiah, but they meant the Messiah who would come. And this is told in the Old Testament. And John the Baptist told this, you know, where, where he has his winnowing fork. And, I mean, he's just, you know, exercising power. The Messiah would come. He would um, defeat the enemies of Israel. A new era, the mountain of God, the kingdom of God would be inaugurated. It would be totally different. The Messiah would sit on David's throne in Jerusalem and reign forever. And the distinguishing mark of that kingdom of God was the overwhelming force of the Messiah. That's why they rejected Jesus. You see, when Jesus commands the twelve to announce to the Jews, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is no insignificant sentence. It literally means that all of that power that you've been trusting God for in the Messiah, and you know it's irreversible, and so all that that's at the end of history has broken into now. That's huge. We're in the middle, so to speak. We're not supposed to have in the middle what only God will wrap up and do in the end, right? And Jesus said, no, you go out and say, it is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. We see this in verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And there's all kinds of Jewishness and all kinds of things specific in that command right there that we're not going to talk about this morning because I'm already behind time. But that, folks, is power. Raise the dead? This part about not taking a wallet, extra tunics, you know, that's a shirt, uh, etc., shows our personal trust in the power uh, of God related to the advance of the kingdom and, and the apostles' answer at this time, he doesn't always say that. You know, that's not always the commission as, as they go out. But it is in this time. The answer of the apostles to the question, what's in your wallet, is nothing. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And not only can he not be stopped now when power and grace are together, but I can trust him as well. Do you see that things are not always as they appear. Do you ever feel like, man, the world's going in the wrong direction? Man, there's just like this, you know, we've got to circle the wagons around the church. You ever feel that way? Don't. It's not like God is, it like had a, like a third quarter lull and hadn't scored a first down in a long time and the kingdom of Satan is going to defeat him. No. No, the kingdom of God, 
power and grace is at hand. And do you see that God's power and grace really are more? Raise the dead? Which brings us to where we started. You want to announce the kingdom of God by living the grace of God? Announcing the truth about the Messiah? i got good news for you this morning. Not just that there's going to be pushback and you're going to be fine. And not just that some people are going to welcome you. Here's the good news. You don't have to make it happen. Wow. You got a kid who's gone off the beam? Take a deep breath. Breathe the oxygen of God's sovereignty and His power and His love. You don't have to make it happen in people's lives. You cannot make it happen in people's lives. And not just somebody you're related to. Do you understand? That is freedom. Just go announce that the kingdom is here. Go announce that it's Jesus. Go announce that He has died for us. That we don't have to suffer with guilt before God. That we don't have to wonder about the meaning of life. That we don't have to suppress what we, we, we just can't get to down deep in our own hearts because it's not there. And we don't have to keep suppressing that there's something we need from the outside and that is grace. And that is won by another person on our behalf and that's Jesus and that's why it never goes away. And that's why He lives in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's just too wonderful for words. But you don't, you don't make it happen. Verse 11. In whatever town or village you enter, find out, listen to these, these words, who is worthy and stay there until you depart. And as you enter that house, greet it. Or enter the house, greet it. And, and if the house is worthy, let your peace, your shalom, come upon it. But if it is not worthy, get it? I'll tell you what worthy is in a minute. If it's not worthy, let your peace come back to you. Don't shalom it. Don't say everything's good, everything's whole, everything. Nope. Let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you, Listen, or listen to your words about the kingdom. Shake off the dust of your feet when you leave that town or house. And then it goes on to say Sodom and Gomorrah will have it easier in the judgment than the Israelites who reject the Messiah. But we're not going to go deep into that either. So the apostles would arrive in town, two by two in this case, they would begin to proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, the one that you're trusting. You know, like waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know, all this stuff we read in the Old Testament. They're waiting for, like, the Romans to be done away with, the Messianic kingdom to be begun. The kingdom of God is here now. It is God's power. It is God's grace. It is through Jesus. And it is unstoppable. He says, when you go to town, begin to speak the gospel and through that, it will not be hard to see who is worthy. Because through that, you will see immediately who is open and who is not. 
who wants to reject your words and not be around you anymore because they don't want to hear it, and who wants to hear more. And so these worthy people, this is just God's sovereignty, right? These worthy people are going to come up and they're going to say, I want to hear more about that. Would you stay with me? And he says, you go. You go and stay. And you make that your headquarters right there. God is at work right there. I mean, what's wonderful is not, not just the fact that God will hold us up when we get rejected and it's going to be okay. That's not the most wonderful part. The most wonderful part is that just when you thought it would never happen, people will open their arms to grace and love and Jesus. And they are the worthy ones. An unworthy person is simply someone who's hardened against the kingdom, doesn't want to listen to your words or be with you, and you are to give peace to the worthy house, take it back from the unworthy house, and then there's that thing, the shake the dust off of your sandals like on their threshold, like put dirt in their house. I mean, this is really Middle Eastern, you know? It's like, can you imagine like not being happy with somebody and taking off your shoe and like knocking there's a lot of dust in the sandals knocking all the dirt right there on the threshold and and going on you know they still over there throw shoes at people you've noticed that right there's this big thing about shoes over there and dirt and dust still is to this day when they're not worthy shake the dust off of your sandals in the doorway of an unworthy house translated god is the one who opens hearts not you Represent Him and just show and tell the good news. And when you're not received, don't sweat it. Shake it off, literally, and move on. Now, different people look at this shaking the dust off. And I like what the scholar Linsky says. He says this symbolic act of shaking the dust off your sandals signifies, listen to me, that the the feet of the people who proclaim the kingdom have actually been in your house. You've actually been told about Jesus. The feet have actually those feet have actually been in your house or your town. And what they leave is the dirt off of their feet as a witness to the fact that they were here and that grace was proclaimed and you didn't receive it. And there's the dirt to prove it. This act, however, was not a sign of contempt. That's what you've got to understand. Oh, yeah, let me tell you, you're going to hell. See that dust? Every time you look at that dust, and even when you sweep it away, you'll see that dust. That's not what it's about. It is to say the gospel was proclaimed here and you didn't receive it. It is not a sign of contempt, nor was the dust of the place defiling the place. Like... All of a sudden, your house forever is unclean. Nor does it indicate that the apostles will have absolutely nothing to do with that place ever again. Nor does it indicate that this act is equal to exclusion from the kingdom. It's not up to you. It's not up to you to save people, and it's not up to you to damn people either. (laughs) You see... The meaning is, the person who hardens their heart against Jesus today may very well be the person who is worthy tomorrow. 
You don't need to worry about it. You just need to show and tell the kingdom of God's power and His grace. God will open the hearts. God will work. And remember, remember He says, I want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Meaning, people that don't recognize Jesus, even though they're Jews, even though they have the promises, they are lost. Shaking the dust off your feet was what you did when you went out of Gentile places. To shake the dust off of your feet in the house of a Jew was outrageous. It was to say, you're lost. Without the Messiah... Hey, look, you're lost. I'm lost. We're all lost until we meet Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, and I have other sheep not of this fold, and they are mine too. That's us. That's the Gentiles. Uh, The kingdom is a kingdom of power and of grace unleashed together, and it cannot be stopped. We just need to announce that it is here and show it. God wants to extend his kingdom through none other than you and me. God gives exousia to go out and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is here now. Salvation is available now. And it's more miraculous than the Red Sea. It is death to life. We just need to get there. And proclaim the kingdom of God. Now I know the reason we don't get there. We're scared. It's the same reason I wasn't sure I wanted to go to lunch with Roscoe. And I really didn't want to see him again. But you know what? They're lost. Just like you were. You don't have to save them. And you certainly shouldn't damn them. We just need to get there with the kingdom of power and grace that cannot be stopped. Let me tell a quick story and we'll close. A few years ago, I was very inspired by reading a book. If you want to write it down or you can ask me afterwards. The book is called The Secret Thoughts. This is interesting already, isn't it? The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, an English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Isn't that a great name? Rosario Champagne Butterfield. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. She was a tenured professor of English at the University of Syracuse University who specialized, her area of specialty was called queer theory. She was lesbian and she was a militant gay activist. And she did not like Christians. And she did not like the thought of God at all. And she perished the thought of God. In her own words, Friedrich Nietzsche was kinder than I was in his assessment that God was dead. Meaning to her, God wasn't dead. God, that was just like a curse word almost. And I won't go into all the reasons she says that. And part of it is how Christians treated her. But we're not going to go into all that. All this was true until the promise keepers came to town in 1997 And she didn't like it at all. So what she did was she got her hot little pen out and a piece of paper and she wrote a scathing article in the paper 
against the promise keepers. And she said that it, it was so, so, you know, angry. She said that she had two stacks. She got all this response. She had hate mail and what she called fan mail. And so she would just, you know, dish everything into hate mail or fan mail, except for one letter that she couldn't put in either category. And this letter was written to her by a Presbyterian minister. His name was Ken, and he simply said, um, I'm just wondering what kind of worldview would produce such an assessment that you have stated in the paper. I would love to get together with you and hear from you about your worldview. Now, she wasn't sure what to do with that. Well, she got with him. And this began a two-year conversation between her and Ken and Foy, his wife, the pastor, loved uh, Rosario, and this budded into a friendship, much to the alarm of all the people in her world who kept telling her, don't go back, these people are poison. And there's some really incredible t- turns in this story. Uh, One has to do with a former Presbyterian minister who is now transgendered who was counseling her while she was talking to Ken. Really interesting stuff. And and, and yet she she just kept coming back. And over a two-year period, she came to know Jesus. She did learn, by the way, that homosexuality wasn't why you don't have a relationship with God. The sin is why we don't have a relationship with God. And she says there's a thousand ways to be broken, but only one way to be whole. And she comes to Christ. She is now a Presbyterian minister's wife with four kids. What's my point? Who to funk it? The kingdom of God is the power of God and the grace of God unleashed together. Grace, power, and cannot be stopped. Jesus is sending you and sending me. And this is living into focus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would um, restore within us the joy of our salvation if you've never put your trust in Jesus, if, if grace is something that you have never received from God, given by God, purchased by God, freely given to you, then Lord, help someone pray, I, I, I can't do this without grace. So I turn from everything else and, and Jesus, I put my trust in what you have done for me to reconnect me with my Creator. And thank you that now my sins are forgiven because of Christ. And you're not just my Creator. You're my Father. Jesus, you're my Good Shepherd. Lord, for those of us that have known you for quite some time, we, en- we enjoy your salvation. We tell it to ourselves every day. We revel in it. It gives us peace. The Lord, would you help us believe in its power as well? And would you give us faith to represent you to lost sheep? In Jesus' name, amen.